Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We are in a series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. How has it been since I've been gone? Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Just okay. That's cool. Um, no, this is a series that I've been waiting to do, and I've, I actually was waiting for the time I would be gone because I really wanted to force Bill to lead the way because he, uh, he told me to read this book years, like right when it came out, and it took me a long time. It took me until last year to read it, and um, this series by Pete Scazzaro, uh, who's kind of pioneered this work, Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Leader, and Emotionally Healthy Relationships, which I recommend all of them. Um, help me recognize that uh, you can't be spiritually mature without emotional health. And under the kind of the framework of practicing the way of Jesus, we're, we're, we're kind of leading the way for emotionally healthy uh, spirituality. We're recognizing that part of our discipleship to Jesus is to learn how to become emotionally healthy people. And I think it's something that our culture needs more than ever. I think it's the, ne- the ge- next generation needs it more than ever as millennials and Gen Z. Like, clearly there's a lack of emotional health in our culture and world. That's why, um, just as, as you look at the landscape just in America, let's just focus in on churches. You can have leaders of these massive churches blowing out of ministry because of, of emotional unhealth. Because generations before have, have kind of just said, well, it's, we got to be spiritual. We can be good at teaching and leading a church like a CEO while being toxic underneath. And we're recognizing that actually Jesus never did that. And if he's our model, um, we have to become more like him. And so the task requires a lot of work of transformation. And so I know that the last few weeks, I was talking to one guy who was saying, man, last week ended it. And I felt like I got robbed because it went into ministry time and I just needed to sit with this idea of like brokenness and vulnerability. And it's true, right? Like you go from last three weeks and there's months of work to be done. And if you haven't heard the series, I highly recommend it. If you haven't got the book yet, I highly recommend getting the book. So the last three weeks we've done, uh, principle one is look beneath the surface Principle two is breaking the power of the past. How, how insightful was that if for those of you that missed it? I'm just trying to get a gauge on how many of you are absent like I was. But I've podcasted. Did you guys podcast this? Gosh, I'm already losing 30, 30% of you. Okay. Um, and the third principle is in brokenness and vulnerability. Like live, live in brokenness and vulnerability. And that's a means of strength. So that's review. If you missed it, go, go listen to it. Get the book. Read through it. It's super helpful. Today, I'm going to preach on something, and I, I'm a little, I was talking to some others this, yesterday, and I'm like, man, I hate preaching on the things that I struggle with, <laughs> because I don't come out confident, like, oh yeah, like this is, so I'm preaching from a place of, this has been an ongoing struggle. When I went through this book, um, and I'm going to preach from the scriptures first, and we use this as a backdrop, um, but uh, this was one that I've really struggled with. And the principle, I'm going to start with what it is. The principle is receive the gift of limits. So what we're going to talk about is receive the gift of limits, right? So right there is a paradox in itself, like limits as a gift. And I know if you know me at all, you know I push every limit there is. 
And so if you don't know me, you'll get to know me as through, through the struggles of this. But here's where the, the author of the book, uh, Emotional Healthy Church, Pete Scazzaro, he says this. And I want to frame this as a hope and a vision for our church. He says this, um, and it's, it's, it's not in the notes. It's like note number 30 for the slides. It's, it's this. In emotionally healthy churches, people understand the limits God has given them. They joyfully receive the one, two, seven, or ten talents God has so graciously distributed. As a result, they are not frenzied or covetous, trying to live a life God never intended. They are marked by contentment and joy. Emotionally healthy churches also embrace their limits with the same joy and contentment, not attempting to be like another church. They have confident sense, they have a confident sense of God's good hand on their church for such a time as this. Is that inspiring? How many want more joy in their life? How many, of, how many of you want to live a life that's not frenzied or exhausted by hurrying and trying to prove? How many of you want uh, contentment and joy as a way of normal living? That's what I want. So let's go there today. If you have a Bible, we're going to look at John the Baptist or John the Baptizer story. I think this particular text in John, the Gospel of John, and for those of you that are new to the scripture, the gospel of John was written by the disciple John. He's not the same guy as John the Baptist. It's a different guy. I know it's a little confusing because you open up and you're like, wait, is he talking about himself? No, he's not talking about himself. But if you have a Bible, go to John chapter 1. We're going to look at a few verses together, kind of the story of John the baptizer. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles up here, or we'll give you one at the welcome table, or you can just download an app, which is not the same, um, but it's, it's good enough. Embrace your limit. Okay, here we go. Verse 19, here we go. Let's look at this together. Uh, it's a story of, of John the Baptist. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent the priest and the Levites, kind of the religious police back in the day, to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah, they asked him. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So in this passage, what we see right away is John is being questioned by the religious elites. And there were all sorts of questions because John is like the big hotshot in town. Thousands and thousands of people are going to this like far off place to the River Jordan to see this prophet who is living like this wild life where he's eating honey and locusts. He's dressed weird um, and he's calling people to repent. Am I that boring? <laughs> Do you want me to bring Bill back that bad? I said locusts, right? <laughs> Not crickets. <laughs> who, who has that as a ringtone, really? <laughs> Let's skip down to verse 29. So they, they, they come to question him, and there were all these like 
because there, there were all these Old Testament promises about Elijah coming back to prepare and this Malachi prophecy about, about Elijah. And then, and then there's another old, in Deuteronomy, another prophet. And so they're like, hey, are you the one? And he's like, no. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you this guy? No. He's, he's like, and then, he, and then he says from the prophet Isaiah chapter 40, ah, this is who I am, prepare the way of the Lord. And then verse 29, this is so interesting. So this is John, John's ministry is like flourishing, right? But then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a, um, as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So John sees Jesus doesn't know necessarily he's the Messiah. John was told by, by God at some point in his ministry that, hey, there's someone that's gonna come that when you see the Spirit rest on him, you'll know that that's the Messiah, that's the one. He's the one you're preparing to, to away for. And that happens, and he says, it's Jesus. And check this out. The next day, verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples. These are his close friends. He's a rabbi to them. Great intimacy, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Then two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus, which means they became his disciple. They became his disciples. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, where are you staying? He said, come and you will see. So we see that two of John's disciples leave John to follow Jesus. Just, just for a moment, think of in, in all of your humanity. You're building this, this ministry. You're building a business. You're building this successful thing that has a, this, this time frame, that has an end in sight. And then it comes, and your close friends, your closest supporters, your biggest givers, they leave to follow the one you were intended to prepare the way for. Are you, are you building this with me? Do you see what's going on? What was it like emotionally for John the baptizer, John the Baptist, to watch his ministry shrink? And check it out. It goes even further. Verse, uh, let's look at verse 20. Let me see. Verse 22 of chapter 3. You guys are really quiet this morning. Thankful for you. It's not as hot in here right now, is it? It's pretty good. Decent. Feels good. After this, verse 22. Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. So now Jesus is baptizing. Now John also was baptizing in Enon near Salim because there was plenty of water. We're in the desert there and people were coming to be baptized. This, is, this was before John was put into prison. An argument developed between John's disciples and certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and asked him, Hey, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, look, he's also baptizing, and everyone is going to him. And listen to John's response. 
to, to this, John replied, and I want you to memorize this. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Can we pray? Lord, we recognize that your word is powerful, and throughout history, churches have gathered with bits and pieces of scripture to come together in communities like this, to break bread, to remember the, um, the cost of the cross, and to organize their lives around sharing resources, around worship, around teaching of the scriptures. And Lord, this word is powerful for us. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would unlock and release and plant seeds that would grow into fruitful living for the rest of eternity. I pray, Lord, that we would receive what is given to us. And I pray that as John delighted in your success, Jesus, that we would have a similar mindset, that we would decrease and you would increase. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. So reiteration, John is the hotshot prophet in town. Everyone's coming from all over to be with him. He is... Um, He's making a way for Israel to be prepared for the Messiah. And when Jesus comes, he's out of a job. But listen to his response to what's going on. He's not jealous. He's not depressed. He's not bitter. He's not competitive. He's not insecure. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A friend is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice, meaning he celebrates Jesus' success over him. And the story has radical implications for our progressive, bigger, better, more, acceleration, fear of missing out, you only live once culture, doesn't it? That this, this type of mindset in life for emotional health has something for us today. Are we able to celebrate other successes in, our life, in their lives? How is John able to celebrate Jesus' surge of popularity in the midst of his own ministry? And this is the question I want to answer as in regards to emotional health and learning to receive the gift of limits. How was he able to celebrate Jesus' popularity at the cost of his own ministry? How did he do that? And I, I want to suggest this three things. Number one is John uh, knew his identity, his calling, and his limitations. And that's what we're going to anchor on today. Is that John, I want to talk about each these three things. That John knew his identity, his calling, and his limitation. John knew who he was, his identity. He knew who he was. And he, and he said, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. He knew who he was and therefore he knew who he wasn't. And most of us can leave today with that phrase. Do we know who we are? And if we do, then do we know who we aren't? Because it seems like most of us struggle with the other part. 
We don't really know who we aren't. So look at what he does. He says, uh, because he knew who he was, he was able to answer the question and identify who he wasn't. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? Nope. They're trying to put him in a box. But notice his identity was grounded in Scripture. His identity was grounded in Scripture, and it was also grounded in himself. In the Scripture, he pulls out this verse, Isaiah, from Isaiah 40. And he says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. This is who he is. It wasn't written about him, but he knew Scripture, and it became alive, and it became his, his identity. This is what he's here for. This is who he is. This is the vision he has for his life, and his vision for his life is saturated in the scripture and his own story. And so for him, for, for him, he knew that the prophecy of Isaiah was about one specific person, but he's saying that this is for me. And, and in some ways, I would like to suggest that John knew his inner Johnness. <laughs> he knew his inner Johnness. I, we need to know. Our inner self, and uh, Thomas Merton will say our true self. Let's use that language. That do you, like, do I know my inner darrenness? Do I know my true self? Am I living from my true self, or am I operating from, a, from my false self? So often we do not live out of our true self or our inner essence, but rather we spin our wheels trying to be somebody we're not. Can I get an Amen. I love what Brandon Manning says. He says this, living out of the false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everyone will admire us and nobody will know us. My point is that we all stray from our identity. And there's good reason for that. We're afraid. We're anxious. We live our lives with insecurity and we spend our energies comparing ourselves to everyone else, trying to prove we're worth something rather than receive the worth we already have from the moment we take breath. You, there has never been a you before in the history of the, in the world, in the history of the planet, in the history of the world. That is, that's, that is a relief. Is that what you, that's a relief, yeah. But isn't that an incredible gift? But what we do is we live our lives trying to be somebody else other than ourselves. And there's a famous rabbi, Zusa, who said this. He says, um, when he was an old man, he said, in the age to come, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zusa? You could drag that into today, and when I meet Jesus, he might say, Darren, he's not going to say, Darren, why weren't you more like Bill Doctrum? Or Darren, why were you not more like Francis Chan? Why were you not more like John Wesley? He will say, why were you not more like Darren? Because this is what we're getting at. We waste so much emotional energy trying to be people that we're not, trying to impress people who really just don't care because they're trying to impress other, everyone else. And what happens is what we learn from John is that when we're grounded in our true self, our identities, our true identities, there are no more excuses, apologies, or guilt. And we can operate freely with whatever gifts, strengths, weaknesses, and limitations we have. Come on is right. Are you, are you getting this? Do you, do you need me to put on a college shirt and, and talk a little more intelligently like Bill? Like, I, I believe... There's a freedom and a gift of being yourself. 
and it comes with, with receiving your identity. So we'll talk about, I, I just want to invite you to ask the question, who are you? Who has God created you to be uniquely as, as a person? And are you comparing yourself to everyone else on social media world? Are you comparing yourself to the neighbors with more stuff or your friend or your coworker? Or have you settled in to accept all of the bruises, all of the scars, all of the issues, and all of the strengths and blessings that come with who you are? And in order to be free, in order to live from a place of power, we have to accept who we really are in our true identity. Second is calling. Uh, John, not Paul, John says, I am the voice, so it's identity. He says, I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord. He had this sense of calling. Because he, because he knew who he was, he also knew what he was called to do. This is so important. Um, he, uh, his job was to get Israel ready for Yahweh's return. And I think we often misunderstand the power and purpose of calling. We, we, we miss that it's connected to a bit of who we are in our identity. And, and so often we're, we're trying to decide what we're called to do. But we also um, struggle with recognizing that um, who you are has value, but we also are called to work. Like, we're called to do stuff on earth. Do we know this? Like, like the idea of retirement doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. Like, you don't arrive somewhere and then just stop. Like, oh, I'm, I'm done doing my disciple. Like, we're all, in the kingdom, the, the kingdom will continue on for eternity. And we're going to continue to work. We're going to continue to cultivate environments in the age to come. This is the lifespan of eternity. It's going to continue to grow and be dynamic. We will continue to grow and be dynamic in the age to come. Millions of years from now, for those that are in, in Christ, we will continue to expand in knowledge and truth and wisdom. Is that cool? So what you do with your life, how you, your vocation, your calling, is important because God has given you a personality. God's given you a unique mind, an intellect. He's given you unique skills that he wants you to use to, to, to not just, let me just say this because I think this is killing a movement of God, to not just bring people to a gathering on Sundays and call that ministry. He, he's, he's given you skills and, and, and intellect and wisdom and relationships and passions and gifts and spiritual gifts so that you can go back to the hospital that you work at and build the kingdom of God and bring life there and bring conversion and make disciples and baptize people in the hospital rooms. It's not, hey, your best calling is to get people to show up to a seat on church where they spend an hour and a half every week and call it ministry. It's destroying the American church. God has given you a calling, passions, vocation. Some of you are doctors, graphic designers, entrepreneurs, businesses. You own businesses. You're students. Some of you are, are stay-at-home moms. Some of you homeschool. And that is your calling and vocation for the season. And you need to see at this moment as a divine vocation and calling. And you are commissioned to do that in the power of God. Wherever you go. And if we think, oh, I'll have a real job, I'll be in ministry one day, and I'm going to leave behind this work to step in, that's, that's destroying the movement of God. Every movement throughout history has been lay leaders, meaning it's not professional clergies doing it. 
people that get a paycheck from a religious institution. I believe that's important for the community. I get a paycheck from the church because I spend my hours preparing the word, leading our organization, following God. But if, if that was for everyone to be a ministry, I think that would just destroy the move of God. My job is to equip you and release you for the ministry that God has prepared for you in advance, according to Ephesians. Are you with me? But you got to know who you are. Thank you. But that's unnecessary. It's just what the Bible teaches. But you got to know what you're here for. I'm called to this. When, like, when you wake up and you know you're called to something, there is a force that awakens inside of you. And let me just say, it may not always be what you get a paycheck for. When I was writing this sermon, I couldn't help think about my mom. Because she might get a paycheck from a, from a business office that she works at, from a construction company. But she is a called steward of divine gifting, of hospitality, of generosity, of extending God's kingdom everywhere she goes. And it doesn't matter if she's getting a paycheck from an organization like a, a, like a construction company. Wherever she goes, she's bringing those gifts with her. She's been called and anointed for that. And she walks around with a purpose, if you know my mom. There's an amen waiting inside of some of us that know what I'm talking about. We all need to wake up to the calling that you have a job, a career that should flow out of who you are. And there's a symbiotic relationship between the two of your identity and your calling. And I think we need to, we need to pray about that. We got to figure out what's my vocation? What's my calling in life? What should my career be? And even though we go through times that are frustrating because it does, things don't fit, it's okay let me just say, for those of you that are young, that you're trying to figure out your vocation and calling. It's not going to happen just because you're sitting alone in the desert going, God, what's my calling? I don't think that's how it works most of the time. Right? I don't think it's like, oh, I'm just going to wait for the perfect job to arrive. That I'm really passionate about. That has everything I long for. That it's my sweet spot. No emails. No admin. No follow-through. I just get to show up, talk to people. They do it. And it has meaning and purpose, and it changes the world. That's what every millennial wants. And I become famous for it. That's literally what every millennial wants. You're going to do some stuff, and it's not going to fit you. And then you're going to tweak it, and you're going to give that job up, and you're going to start your own business, and then you're going to struggle for years, but then you'll get to this point where, like, yeah, this is what I was made to do. And then you'll hit, a, you'll hit a, a wall again. And you're going to shift because God's shifting it. And that's what calling is about. And you, have to, you don't do this alone. You do this in community where we call it out of each other. We say, do you realize that this is who you're really good? Every time we're together, I just am inspired to be a better person. Every time we're together, I have more clarity about what I should be doing with my, every time we're together, I, I want to like get better at how I handle my finance. You're like really good at details. And like, do you have those friends that are really good at details? Like my wife is this for me. Like I'll show up on a vacation, not have planned anything other than how we get there and how we get home. But then she's like, hey, we have two kids, and there's going to be nap schedules and food, and there's going to be, we're going to need a budget, and we're going to need to have a schedule for when they sleep. We're going we're gonna to have to buy some things for them on, for the trip, you know? Like, there's, they, like they don't have rain clothes, and it's going to rain. I, I'm just thinking, man, London's awesome. We're going to have so much fun. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
And if you're both like me, you're, you're just screwed. I just like, <laughs> so I thank Jesus. So calling, it's the best way to figure out your calling is just to live your life. Do some stuff, fail at it, come alive in some things, say yes, do some other stuff, and just allow it to grow. Like I think about my, my older brother. He was a Long Beach police officer before I even knew of Long Beach, before we moved here. And he did, it, he did the academy here, and then he started like six months as a police officer. And he was devastated by the impact of crime in the city. And so he left, becoming, he left the police uh, force to become a teacher, went back to school and wanted to work with at-risk kids so he could prevent what he saw in our city. And now he's a vice principal, and he does counseling, and he's traveling to D.C., and he's, he's thriving but he, he did it. He was a police officer. He went through hard times and he realized, you know what? He had the courage to change direction and recognize his calling was something else. And sometimes we don't, and let me just say this, um, uh, just so you know, calling isn't always something you want to do. Leave that there. <laughs> just let that settle for a little bit. I think about when, when we were called to come to the city, we lived in Newport Beach, right, next to King Coffee Shop. A three-minute, like a five-minute bike ride to the ocean where we surf. I surfed. Not Alex does not like it. I surfed to moving to Long Beach where all we knew were the broken parts of our city. We were working at the rescue mission, a group home for men living with HIV and AIDS. Like, we didn't we didn't know this other beautiful side of the city that we've come to love. We wouldn't want to live anywhere else. We love Long Beach. But my wife said, the last place on earth I want to live is Long Beach. But she knew she had to go because we were called. Sometimes you do what you have to do because God says, this is what you're made to do. And eventually I think joy will be on the other side as we mature. You guys good? I got to go through a bunch. Okay, so the third part. So first is identity, second is calling, and the third is probably the hardest. It's limitations. Uh, and that line, I just, I've been reciting it all week long. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. We're raised in this culture, and I, was, I grew up in this culture, where it, I was told I could be anything I want to be. Anyone else? And I got a trophy for it. I thought I wanted to play soccer, and they gave me a trophy for playing soccer. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But that's the culture we live in, right? Participation. Like, uh, my friend told, tells a story that they have a student of the week in their school, in their public school, and it's, it's uh, predetermined be, uh, before they even start the school year. They have a, pro, a student of the week <laughs> for every kid because <laughs> they don't want anyone to feel left out. That's the culture we live in. You can be an astronaut. You, on the space force, you can be a, you can be, you can, you can right? You can, you can create tunnels under Los Angeles to help with traffic, right? Tesla, like you can be, everyone's like, you could be a billionaire, a PhD, an actor. You can do nothing by the age of 20 and have a billion dollar company. No, she did a lot. You can, um, Become the youngest billionaire, self-made billionaire because you post some stuff on Instagram. But we live, am I, am I, is this getting a little harsh? It is. I'm a little critical. I'm just getting a little critical of the culture. But that's okay. Prophetic, prophetic ministry can be a bit critical at times. But Paul says this. He says this. Listen. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. 
Romans 12, 6. We have different gifts according to the grace. So some of you have this grace, some of you have that grace. Um, and that has to do also with limitations. Um, the danger of living with you can be a come anyone you want to be is you're at risk of uh, living in this uh, kind of unbridled freedom that, that causes you to try to become everyone, you, everyone else. And um, there are some things that you will flourish in and some things that you will just destroy yourself trying to do. And limitations are a gift. Jesus tells a story about these three servants. He says one was given five bags of gold, another two bags of gold, and another one. Some of you in this room are five bags of gold people, and we all hate you. <laughs> because everything you touch turn, literally flourishes. Some of, us, some of you are two bags of gold, and you're doing amazing. Some, most of us are one. And what we do is we spend a lot of our energies wishing we had the five. Rather than celebrating, I don't have the physical capacity to do what that person's doing. I don't have the emotional or intellectual bandwidth to carry that type of stress that that two bag of gold person is doing. And what you have to see is that our potential and our limitations are both signs of God's calling in our lives. Our potentials and our limitations are both signs of God's calling. We have limitations a threshold that we reach and we don't have the capacity to go farther. And when I say that, if you're like me, you say, we'll see about that. <laughs> right? I know who you are. I see you in the room. I want to give you some ideas to think around limitations. And Pete Scazzera lists out uh, a list of limitations from his book. And I think these are brilliant because they've really helped me to understand who I am, what I'm called to, and how to live and operate in the season, which I'll share in a second. Are you guys good? Are we good? Good. So number one is your personality is a limitation. Some of you get your energy from people. You're called extroverts. Others of us get our energy from being alone. We're called introverts. And if you were forced as an introvert to spend your entire life with people, that would destroy your soul. It would. And your introverts are amen. So the idea of you working in a private office, doing what you love alone, not interacting with a lot of people, would give you fire for the ages. You're like, that is my dream job. How do I get that job? Little interaction with people as possible. Extroverts, that would destroy your soul. It would, the, the idea of being forced to work in a cubicle by yourself with no team interaction, that would kill you. So what we have to recognize is that who we are, our personalities, are both strengths, gifts, and limitations in all together in one. And when you embrace that, when you receive that as a gift, you can begin to operate from true self. So if you're married to an introvert and you're more extroverted, just hypothetically speaking, you, when you got married, let's just say you thought your spouse was trying to kill your social life. And so you shamed them to going to everything that you wanted to do because you thought she was sucking the life out of you. Not that anyone would ever say that in their youthfulness as a 23-year-old man married to a 22-year-old woman. You might cause some damage to that introvert. Or let's just bring it to ministry. I'm just speaking again what I struggle with. I just thought as a pastor, you have to meet with everyone. And your spouse, well, they're, they're a partner in ministry. They're going to make or break your ministry. Really, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> 
And you force them to serve in a ministry that, has, that just wipes them out of who they are and what they were created to be. That will create damage down the road to recognize that uh, you were forcing them into a calling and a vocation that God never called them into because you wouldn't differentiate yourself from your spouse. That's just me. But I think we can relate when it comes to inviting people over, when it comes to house church. So for my wife, when we're around a lot of people all the time, I know that the very next day or the day before it happens, she needs a lot of alone time because she's a mom with two kids who need her all the time. And that at times is hard for an introvert to be with people all the time. So I've just learned to honor the differences. I hang out with our friends. I'm like, yes, life is good. Let's keep going. Let's have them over again and again and again. And she, as much as she enjoys it, needs space. Can we just see that we need to honor each other's limitations? And same for house church pastors. Can I just say that it's okay that you don't hang out with everyone every day? And that some of you have more capacity for meeting with people than others. Grace was given to you for that. And it's not that you have five gold, they have one gold. You're just built differently. Permission to be who you are. So your personality. The second is the season of life. So I want you to ask the question, what season of life are you in? If you have young children, you're probably exhausted in the season of life. And that is a limitation. If you're, you have elderly parents who are sick or needing more care, that is a season of life that you're going through that you need to honor as a moment in time that has limitation. If you're in college or you're at a job where there's training or you're starting a new career or you're in grad school or you're starting a business, that's a season of life. Right? So for me, starting the garden, that was a season of life where it was all in. We spent so many hours. Alex and I worked 60, 70 hours each, 80 hours at times, building this church because we were starting a business from scratch. Some of you have started businesses, and you remember the first six years, you were just, you were running at a crazy pace. But that was not sustainable because it's not sustainable. Um, some of you, do you know what I'm talking about? So the season of life you're in, if some of you are dealing with pregnancy and you have illness or you're pregnant, that's a season of life. If you have illness, that's a season of life. How many of you walked with loved ones that have gone through cancer treatment? You know that that's a season of life that changes the schedule. It changes what you say yes to. That's a limitation. I want, to, I want you to see that as not something to push through but as a gift of a, a limit to receive. And when you receive it, all the, it's going to be hard at first. All the straining, the, tri, the striving will be uh, released, and you'll learn to be content with what season you're in. Is this helpful? Your life situation is number three. If you're married, if you're single, you have more time. I'm just going to let you know. You think you don't. If you're single, you have more time. When you get married, you cut your free time, they say, 50%. This is what I experienced when I got married. I felt like my wife was trying to destroy my social life. <laughs> and then you have kids. Just cut it again in half. Your life situation uh, is a limitation. And let me just say this, that every child is both a gift and a limit in itself. So when we got pregnant and had Ezra, I came back to work trying to run at the pace that I was running at before we had kids. And that, was, that caused all sorts of unhealth. 
And then uh, Amos came into the world, and I tried to run at the pace that we were running at when we kind of settled with Ezra, and that created unhealth because both kids are a gift and a limitation for life, and that's something we just have to recognize. One day, our kids will be five, six, seven. One day, they won't be napping. One day, they'll be in school, and Thank you, Jesus. Your physical and intellectual and emotional capacity are limitations. Your body, as you grow old, will not be able to do what it once did. That is a limit that we need to honor. Everything we do in our culture is try to break that. Yeah, your bones will hurt. You'll ache a little more. Things are harder to do as you age. There are, some of us have physical um, issues. We have chronic pain in our legs. Some of us are unable to walk around by our own strength. This is a limitation, but it's also a gift to us. And we need to recognize that and honor it. So the, the principle is to receive the gift of limits. And I want you to see this as a gift, not as something to resent, not something to fight against, but to recognize what are the limitations God's given you in this moment. And not to see that limitation as an enemy, but actually as a friend that you lean into. Because in it, you will see more of your calling and your identity. And in that, you will find greater joy and contentment in your life. The way to figure out whether or not you're living inside your God-given limitations is this. Take an emotional self-inventory. Do this with your spouse. Alex and I did this, and it's in the book, Emotionally Healthy Church. But just ask the questions, what are the negative emotions you feel regularly? Are you anxious? Regularly depressed? Regularly angry? Regularly burnt out? Uh, tired, struggling with being exhausted and tired all the time. Can I just say, we need more sleep than we're getting. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, but there's, if you're especially experiencing stress and burnout and tiredness and anxiety and depression, let me just remind you what Jesus promises. Life in the kingdom should look like easy and light, full of rest. That as disciples of Jesus in the 21st century, we should be living unhurried, non-anxious lives, operating in the chaos with a solid sense of self, moving slowly through this world, with an urgency of mission, but anchored in our identity as a life-giving force to be given away. That's the mission of this. That's what it means to practice the way of Jesus, to deal with the emotional unhealth, and to recognize that if we're living with emotional um, unhealth, if there are signs of these negative emotions, then we're probably not living within our limitations. And we need to slow down and recognize what they are. I love what Pete Scazzaro says. He says, maturity in life is when somebody is living joyfully with their God-given limits. So I'll land with a couple of questions and then we're going to pray. Um, so here's what I want to say. As you move out thinking about this, and I'm realizing how deep this series is because this alone takes a few weeks to process. If you really do the work, and the worst thing you can do is be like, oh, that was good. I'm going to go get lunch and see you later, which is what we're all going to do right now. But I want to encourage you to really process these questions. And here, here they are. Um, would you put the first one up for me? Because I forgot to put them in my notes. Are they there? Number one, who are you? And how can you live more into your true self? So who are you? Think about this. Who has God called you to be? Who, um, sorry, and what are you called to do, number two? What are you made for? There is so much freedom in my life to know that actually I will not ever be a Bill Doctrine. 
I grew up at 19, coming back to faith, being mentored by Bill, and I thought to be a pastor was to be like Bill, who has this crazy schedule where he meets with hundreds of people a week as a pastor and a soul care doctor, essentially, like a spiritual chiropractor guru. And I don't know why I did a kung fu move. That's not what chiropractors do. Um, and, And I just, like, it took me years to realize I just will never preach like him. I'll never be a pastor like him. He's like a Eugene Peterson. That's not me. I'm not called or gifted or have a personality. I, I just realized, actually, I, there's one thing I'm really good at. It's starting fires. I don't, know, I don't know what to do after it comes. Like, I'm not going to be able to follow up and walk you down the path. But I know God's given me a gift to spark fire and mobilize his church to move beyond. I'm not exactly good at leading long term over these things. But I know I'm good at that. And there's a freedom to know that's what I'm going to do. As a pastor, that's what he's gifted me. And how do you write that on your job description? I don't really know. But there's a lot of freedom in realizing that I don't have to be that person. I don't have to be John Mark. He's so much better at teaching. I don't, I'm, I don't have that gift. I can't. He spends hours and hours every day alone. I can't do it. He's an introvert. I want to be with people too much. I want to be with leaders. I want to inspire leaders to keep going. And I want to raise up 10 better preachers. But the freedom to know that actually this is who you are and this is what you're called to do is so refreshing for me. It's created the best job for me. And the the third is what are your limitations? Where is there emotional unhealthy? Where is there emotional, it should say unhealth because you can't say no. So once you know who you are, once you know what God's invited you to say yes to, you have to start saying no to everything else. Cool? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.